This morning we're going to be in Joshua chapter 13, and boy do we have work to do. We are going to cover nine chapters of God's Word this morning, and I'm getting interesting looks from you. (laughs) We're going to do it in half an hour. Alright, so uh, very good to hear from all the things in in Endicott. Um, Realized on the trip that it was my fifth mission trip with both Brian Diaz and AJ Bessie. Just fun to see them um, grow up and uh, take on responsibilities. And I was really proud of our guys who were there. Um, They, on their own, decided to split time devotions at night. And so they went to the the store every day in town and bought drinks for each other. And um, at night, had some soda and some of God's Word together. So I was really proud of them for that. So Joshua chapter 13. We are not going to stand and read nine chapters because we would be here until about noon. So we will um, dive into the scriptures today. If you have not been with us for a while or you've been on vacation or something, um, we have been in the book of Joshua for some time now uh, in a series called Following His Lead. Um, And we are now to a point where we get to the so-called boring chapters, right? Those ones in the rooted reading or your reading plan where um, you do the, the kind of the skim through all the towns and the lists. And uh, Matthew Henry, a Puritan from hundreds of years ago, has a good word for us this morning on these chapters. He said this, The learned know how much light the geographical description of a country gives to the history of it. And therefore we are not to skip over these chapters of hard names as useless and not to be regarded. Where God has a mouth to speak and a hand to write, we should find an ear to hear and an eye to read. And God give us a heart to profit. And so that is our prayer this morning, that God would give us a heart to profit from his word. It is profitable for all kinds of things. And this morning we want to dig into it. Uh, On the other hand, I don't think that you ought to go into reading the names, the list of names in here and expect that every uh, city will speak to you in a certain way. You may find some that are familiar. There are some that no modern scholar has any idea where it is, so we don't know where many of these cities are. But to us, this list is is kind of boring, and here's why I think that is. Um, we, we like action, and we like narrative, and we like that because we're so far removed from this culture and from this time period. Um, if you think about it, we all prize land. When we were in Endicott, we saw acres and acres and acres and miles and miles of wheat. Um, there is land um, everywhere to be had. And I think all of us on the trip, to some extent or another, were kind of like, ah, there's dirt and, and plants and not a lot of buildings. And there's something about the land Um, I think that speaks to us. Um, This is uh, part of the American dream, right? Uh, From Jamestown to Plymouth to Northwest Territories, Oregon Trail, the Oklahoma land rush of 1889. Um, Land has always given us plenty of drama as well. Um, You think of fights over land, battles, wars over the land. Uh, To the children of Israel, it was Haaretz, the land. And they had almost this symbiotic relationship with the land. Um, They were promised land that they could live in. This is um, the idea of going from being a tenant, being a renter, to being an owner, to having your own land. It gave um, a sense of uh, what they had inherited, and we'll talk about that today. 
Uh, in Gone with the Wind, Gerald O'Hara says, The land is the only thing in the world worth working for, worth fighting for, worth dying for, because it's the only thing that lasts. Or um, as one of our poets has said, This land is your land. This land is my land from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. And we sing that and we know that, that song, but, but think about the land and as it's stretched out before our ancestors. Land is important. Land is dramatic. Land is personal. And so I just want to remind you, we're going to have several men stand up and read the promises that would have been ringing in the Israelites' ears as they took the land described here in Joshua 13 through 21. In Exodus 3, a familiar story. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. For hundreds of years, these promises were ringing in the Israelites' head. They knew that they had a land that was theirs to inherit, and yet they weren't there. And so generation after generation after generation looked forward to receiving this land. And now in Joshua 13, we're at the point where finally they're able to receive the land. So take a look at Joshua 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. So we have been reading through the conquest narrative portion of the book of Joshua. And at at Joshua 13, we we take a turn. And now we go from conquest to possession. Okay? So the conquest is not totally complete, but is mostly complete. And so now what needs to happen is the people need to possess the land. And you see in verses 2 through 6, the land that has still not been taken is uh, listed out there by Yahweh. And the very end of verse 6, he says, Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. So what we see here is kind of this tension. The, the land has been taken, has been conquered. The land has been conquered, but not taken. And this is actually what God had told the Israelites. If you want to look it up later, go to Deuteronomy seven twenty-two through 23 And God said, you're not going to take it quickly. I will do it, by incre- I'll do it incrementally. And so this is what God had promised. And the reason he had is because if I, God said, if I wipe out the Canaanites, you're not ready to move in to all those places. The, the wild animals will take over and you are not ready to move into the land in a quick fashion. However, we also see here that there is kind of this urgency to, to do it, to take the land that they have begun to conquer. 
Uh, one scholar said, despite the apparent extensiveness of the conquest, some areas adjacent to those brought under control and even some pockets within them remained untaken. You can see this in some of the passages we'll look at today, but also read Judges 1 and you'll see a partial fulfillment of the Israelites called. They, they take some of the land, but they don't take all of the land that God had promised them as an inheritance. What Joshua then begins to do is review in the following verses the east. So east of the Jordan River is now given. You'll see that the two and a half tribes here on the map that took the eastern side, this happened back in the book of Numbers, had asked Moses for this land on the eastern side of the Jordan. But Moses said, you have to come and help your brothers conquer the promised land first. And now that this has happened, Joshua reviews the eastern borders in verses 8 through 33 of chapter 13. And so half of the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Reuben uh, are mentioned here. But something that's very interesting, if you look at verse 14, just kind of a little nugget that's placed inside says, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, he said to him. And so there's a little subpoint here on the Levites. They're mentioned throughout. That's verse 14. Move on ahead to verse 33 at the end of the chapter. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Skip ahead a few verses to 14, 3, and 4. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. Turn over a few pages to chapter 18. Chapter 18. The first part of verse 7. The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. So the the Levites are are in here in a few places, and it's very clear that they're not to receive land. If you look at the map behind me, you will not see an allotment of land for the Levites. If you look at the map in your notes, you will not see an allotment for the tribe of Levi tribe of Levi distinguished themselves after the golden calf incident in the wilderness. Moses and Aaron, who were of the tribe of Levi, Moses called any of those who were willing to go into the crowd, the the crowd of partying, um, sinning Israelites, and the tribe of Levi strapped on their swords and went in and slaughtered some of their own brethren who had defiantly turned their back on the Lord. And in that day, the Lord promised the tribe of Levi a special portion of within the tribes. And so here we see 40 years later this coming true. And so the Levites um, are given a special privilege. It said that God himself is their inheritance. Um, They are given the priesthood as a heritage. And we don't even see them given anything until chapter 21 at the end of our portion today. But the Levites were sort of like the local pastors. They were the ones who were sprinkled throughout the land. We'll see in chapter 21, they received 48 cities in which they are to teach the law of God to the people. They were also given um, instructions and jobs to do at the tabernacle and later on in Israelite history at the temple. 
Well, in chapter 14, if you go back there, we move to the west. So now we move to the western side of the Jordan River, the land of Canaan proper. In the book of Numbers, this is actually the land that God promises to the children of Israel. And what, what is incredible here is the story of Caleb. And again, we're going through nine chapters, so there are things we're going to miss, um, like going through the process of how they cast lots to do the allotment of land. But you can look at your study Bible and look for some of those notes. We're going to skip ahead to Caleb in chapter 14, verse 6. And unfortunately, we don't have time to read all of this. But this senior citizen is one of my heroes. Uh, he is my, my father's favorite character in the Bible and uh, is a man of God. If you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible... Caleb disappears in all but a few mentions after Numbers 14, when he and Joshua are the only two spies that go into the land that tell the people, we can take this land. And then he's gone. He disappears. And now 45 years later, Caleb reappears on the scene. He's 85 years old, and he says this in verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then he recounts that Moses swore land, a special inheritance, for Caleb. And in verse 10 he says, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going and coming. This man is a ferocious beast. (laughs) He, he wants to take his land. God promised to him. He's waited patiently 45 years to receive his inheritance. He is itching to get in there. And so Joshua blesses him and he gives Caleb in verse 13, the, the very uh, important city of Hebron in the south of Judah. Um, if you can look at your map in your notes or up the map up here, Hebron is down in the south. Uh, David eventually made that his first capital city. Caleb um, is going to go in and take the land, and if you move ahead in chapter 15, it comes back to the story of Caleb in the midst of the allotment of Judah. So Judah is the first tribe to receive their land on the western side, and in the middle of that story, because Caleb is from the tribe of Judah, we come back to Caleb, and we see what he does. And it is very interesting in here that we notice in verse 13 of chapter 15 that Caleb gets Hebron. It used to be called Kiriat Arba. Arba was the father of Anak. And I love this part of the story. The reason that the Israelites, 45 years before, had not taken the land, they had listened to the ten, the ten spies, is because those ten spies said, and the sons of Anakim are in the land. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. What distinguished Joshua and Caleb was them saying, so, we have God on our side. And they said that, and they were almost stoned for saying that. But the Lord intervened. And here, 45 years later, Caleb asks for the land. And what land does he ask for? He specifically asks for the land where the Anakim are. These men are giants. It is very likely that Goliath was descended from um, these warriors, these massive, huge men that scared everyone. And um, 
Caleb goes in and it says in verse 14 that he drove out from there the three sons. And then he, he gives his daughter as a wife to someone who can help him to fight and they, they regain the land. The faith that Caleb demonstrates here is amazing. And it is this kind of faith that we all should long for. That our faith does not fade with age. That our faith will not fade with opportunities gone by. That as opportunities change and as ministries change, that we would not lose faith, but rather keep faith. One of the commentators said this, being one old man against the mighty Anakites did not daunt Caleb's faith. Because Caleb did not have faith in faith. He did not have faith in himself. He did not believe in himself. He had faith in God. And he had faith in a God who parts seas and rivers, who delivers people into the hands of his people. And so Caleb has no doubts. He asks for his land and he goes and he takes his land. What, what an example to us. May we young people keep the faith. May the older people in this church continue to keep the faith and give us younger people an example to follow after. May we go to our graves faithful, looking for opportunities like Caleb to fight the giants that stand in our way. May that be the faith that we have. Well, we have to move on. If you read through the 63 verses in chapter 15, the land, uh, the tribe of Judah gets a massive uh, quantity of land, as you can see uh, in the maps that we have available. Um, in chapter 15, verse 63, though, we see the first hint of failure. Here we see the first hint of failure. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. The people of Judah, as well as the people of Benjamin later, could not drive out the Jebusites as they were supposed to. We're not given a lot of details, but they were called to wipe these people out, and they did not. Put your eyes down the page a little bit to 16.10, chapter 16, verse 10. And you'll see as we get into the tribe of Ephraim that they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but have been made to do forced labor. The tribe of Ephraim did not take these people out at Gezer as they were supposed to. Just a brief mention, the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, get uh, a good chunk of land. You'll see Manasseh has probably more land than any other tribe because it's split between the two sides of the Jordan River. Manasseh and Ephraim were Joseph's sons. And you'll remember that when Jacob blesses them in Genesis 48, that he actually switches his hands when he puts his hands on their head. And he says, like God does all throughout the Old Testament, that the younger will be the greater tribe. And it just so happens that a man named Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. Manasseh was also a large tribe, and it contained many important cities like Shechem and Megiddo. And once we get to the end of chapter 17, where we see the allotment of the land, we see again that Manasseh could not take all of possession of the cities that they were supposed to. Down in chapter 18, we have a, a little intermission. Okay, so the part of those older movies that stopped, gave us some time to use the restroom, listen to some good classical music before the second part of the movie. And chapter 18 is like that. And we come to a new city named Shiloh or, or Shiloh. And it is here that Joshua moves the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the place that God resides. And Shiloh becomes the uh, religious capital of Israel. It is centrally located 10 miles north of Bethel, about 30 miles north 
of Jerusalem in the hill country of Ephraim right in here. You might see it on your map as well in the tribe of Ephraim. Well, at this point, there are still seven tribes that have not received their portion. And we see in verse 3 that Joshua blames them for it. So there's a, there's a laziness, there's a, a slothfulness here to take the land. See, they, they were all about conquering the land. They went in and fought. But it is one thing to fight and defeat a foe. It is another thing to come in and occupy the territory and set up a peaceful existence in that land where you must set up farms and you must set up um, regions for your cattle and your sheep. And so these seven tribes had not yet taken their land. And so what Joshua does is he takes three men from the seven tribes, so 21 men, go on a road trip all around the remaining parts of Israel and take notes on the geography, on the rivers, on the mountains, on the crops, and come back and report And the last seven tribes received their inheritance, starting in chapter 18 with the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin is a small tribe. It's kind of squished in between the larger tribes of Judah and Ephraim. It contains an important city you may have heard of called Jerusalem. Also cities like Gibeon and Jericho. We move on from Benjamin to the tribe of Simeon, which is very interesting. Simeon is not actually given boundaries, but you'll even see on the map that it's kind of swallowed up by Judah. And so Simeon was a smaller tribe, and so inside of the large tribe of Judah, Simeon kind of uh, moved in, and essentially throughout Israelite history basically disappears and blends into the tribe of Judah. From there, he moved through uh, several more of the northern tribes, including Naphtali, um, which is where Hatzor is located, uh, which we talked about, the northern capital city that Joshua took. It is also in the tribe of Naphtali that towns um, like Capernaum are found, uh, the, the places on the western side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus would center his ministry thousands of years later. Well, the land is apportioned, and you'll notice in verse 49 of chapter 19 that at this point, and only at this point, does Joshua take his land. Very interesting that the leader waits till the end. This is the captain going down with the ship. This is that kind of dedication where Joshua was not going to take land while the children of Israel that he was leading had not yet taken all of it. And so Joshua receives a special inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim, and he settles there. Chapter 20 is an interesting chapter where the Lord provides for his people. The faithful Lord provides for his people by giving them cities of refuge. And this is for unintentional manslaughter. So the example given in the first five books is if a guy and his buddy are out chopping trees and a guy goes to chop up the tree and the the head of the axe falls off and oops, hits the other guy and kills him, that that is a different, different kind of death than if someone waits in uh, ways to kill. So it's murder versus manslaughter. However, you'll notice the sanctity of life is upheld that, oh, it was just an accident, is not the way that the Lord instructs his people to work. What he does is he gives three cities of refuge on the western side of the uh, the, the Jordan River and three on the eastern side. Um, You'll see them. uh, Kadesh, far in the north, Shechem in the center of the country, and Hebron in the south. And then on the east, Bezer, Ramot Gilead, and Ashtaroth, uh, I'm sorry, Golan, are the cities that are given for refuge. And so if you accidentally killed somebody, you would run, flee to one of those cities. Your case would be tried, and that would be a place for you to live, uh, to avoid the avenger of that family until the high priest died. 
Again, there's, there's so many fascinating things here, but we're out of time. So please read um, chapter 20. It's, it's, I think, nine or ten verses. We will end now with chapter 21. And it is at this point, finally, that Joshua and Eleazar, the high priest, give the Levites their land. Uh, the Levites in Deuteronomy 33 were identified as the, the teachers, the ones who lived in the midst of Israel and reminded them of God's law so that when they weren't all together at the tabernacle celebrating the feasts, that they would remember what God's requirements were. They were kind of like local pastors. Now, the purpose of the allotment of these cities was surely related to the special Levitical ministry of covenant teaching among the 12 tribes. So God in his grace sprinkles Levites throughout all the tribes so that they might have cities for themselves. And so there are 48 cities given to the Levites, including the six uh, cities of refuge. And it's in these places where the Levites would set up and they had special uh, pasture land given to them, but they did not have their own land in the same sense that the other tribes did. Here we see uh, they're divided up, the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. Those are different clans within the tribes. They all had different functions uh, at God's tabernacle and later on at the temple. And they are given um, different lots where they are to live. So you can see that in verses 4 through 7. And as we get to the end, I want to just conclude with verses 43 through 45, which are clearly the conclusion of this portion of the book and transition us into the end of the book. So we will see three more chapters after this in the book of Joshua. But this is, as one uh, commentator said, the jugular vein of the book of Joshua. This is the place where in each of these three verses, Yahweh hammers home the point that he has kept his word. He has made good on his promises. Uh, in the Hebrew, it literally is, none of his words fell. They didn't, they didn't come out of his mouth and just fall useless. Every word that he spoke, he kept. And so we see verses 43 through 45, and they say this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The people of Israel saw God's word come to pass as they inherited the land. And it is, I don't believe it is a stretch to say we Christians have an inheritance too, and it is not in the Middle East. Praise the Lord. Um, it is an inheritance kept for us in heaven where we have our citizenship. Peter says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this God is not a God who just kept his word to the Israelites. This is a God who keeps his word to whomever he speaks to, whether in judgment or in blessing. And so to the people of God who are here this morning, remember that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He is not done working on you yet, Christian. He will fulfill his word to you. Peter also says, according to his promise, we are waiting we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And one day, beloved, when we receive our inheritance, this is what Revelation 21 says about the Christian's inheritance. The God who keeps his word 
None of his words fall to the ground, says this, through the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell, tabernacle with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that is our inheritance. That's what we have to look forward to. And this morning, if you don't know if that's your inheritance, stop fooling around. Because the God who promises to bless will keep his word, so the God who promises to curse will keep his word as well. If you reject the Lord, he will reject you. There is an inheritance in heaven for those who trust in Christ, but there is an eternity of hell waiting for those who reject him. So this morning, don't wait any longer. Come to the one who sacrificed his own son on the cross so you didn't have to bear God's wrath. And that he raised his son from the dead. He now sits at the Father's right hand, building a place for us so that we may inherit it one day. The book of Joshua is not merely about names and cities and gore and battles and things like that. It is actually a pointer to the God who has done these things in the past and will do greater things in the future for us. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are, we are overwhelmed with memories of your faithfulness. We, th- we see what you've done to the, our fathers and mothers who've gone before us, even in Joshua 13 through 21. Lord, thank you that you have kept your word, that you sent one who would crush the head of the snake. Lord, that you have provided a sacrifice once for all so that we no longer come and sacrifice lambs and goats and pigeon and oxen, but we remember the sacrifice of the slaughtered Savior who in our place and for our sin took not only nails and a crown of thorns, but took your righteous anger. And on that cross, he said, it is finished. Lord, we trust you. We trust that what you've said, you will do. We know that you are trustworthy, that you are the one that we can look to in times of need and in times of blessing. So Lord, guide us this week. Help us to see evidences of your faithfulness to us and help us to to praise you for them. Help us to find opportunities to share those, uh, those faithfulnesses to others. God, guide us as we read your word and as we raise our families and as we work at our jobs and as we go to school and as we uh, interact in our neighborhoods and in our clubs and in our hobbies and in um, all different aspects of our lives. God, may may we be um, like the Levites sprinkled throughout this world to teach others about you. Thank you for this place and thank you for this people. In Jesus' name, amen.